So how y'all doing tonight? Yes. Coolest bumper ever, right? Like, I, we win. Thank you, Anna. Uh, how many of y'all were here last week? You got to watch the whole thing. How many of you want to watch the whole thing again tonight? Well, we're not going to, okay? So you're welcome. No, but what we are doing is hyping it on our social media. So that's a shameless plug to go follow us at C12Stone on uh, Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. We would love for you to catch it there. Uh, but what we're going to do is jump right into this next week of, of this series called Seeking God. And what we're talking about in this series is, is the idea of you pursuing God, of you developing a relationship with him, developing further intimacy with him and getting to know him, that you seek him. And so we started it last week by talking about the promises of God. We looked in James 4.8 to see one of the main primary promises that we have from God. And it says this, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And so if, if we believe that promise, if we trust him that he's, that he's right and that he's going to follow through, then when we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. And so that shapes the way that we seek him. And last, year as we, or last week as we learned about that, it led us into Easter. How many of y'all are here for Easter weekend? One of our services here at the church. Yeah. Now, get this. 1,300 people came to Jesus at Easter. It's crazy. Crazy. Absolutely bananas. 1,300 people came to Jesus. And really what that is is 1,300 people saying, God, I trust you. God, I give my life to you because, God, I know that you love me, and so I'm going to choose to love you. And the reason why we know that Jesus loves us is what we learned last week is that the depth of love that someone has for someone is seen in the intensity of the pursuit in which they go after it. And so Jesus loved us so much that he pursued us to the point that he left heaven and died in the pursuit. It's quite intense. It's more intense than any pursuit I've ever had. And it's a love that extends to you as well. Now, this is a love that we can experience, and the idea of seeking God, we're going to talk about tonight, is how you seek God really in all seasons of life, because you should be seeking him in all seasons. Now, this is something that I had to learn in my early 20s. How many young 20s in the room? There you go. All right, so I know what it's like, and I kind of envy you because I just turned 30. Oh, gosh. Okay, hang on. All right, I'm okay. I'm good. However, in my early 20s, I had to learn how to seek God in every season. And that's a key word I use, learn, because I think there's a default inside of me that's the same inside of you of something that we would try to avoid, we would try to avert, we would try to steer away from, and it's something called pain. How many of you enjoy pain? You are a liar, sir. I don't believe you. All right, so every one of us in the room would say, who does not like pain? Can we get a universal there, okay? Pain's not fun. Who wants that? We don't like pain. And here's how I know that's true, because of something that you're about to watch. So here's what I want you to see. There is an experiment done to see what it would be like to get shot in the head with an arrow. Yeah, just freaked you out, and half you just woke up. You're welcome. So I'm going to show you a little video, and you got to wait for it. It's going to be real quiet. you got to look intensely, and you got to wait for it. Check it out. Yeah. <laughs> like Lindsay just jumped four chairs over to her right. How many of you, here, let's try it. All right, how many of you flinched? Just admit it. Guys, you can raise your hand, all right? Just quit. All right, so let's, let's try it one more time. I want you to see how many of you flinched the second time. Watch it one more time. Yeah. Yeah. 
Again. You knew it was coming, and you did. Oh, gosh. Now, do you know why you flinched? Because it's your default reaction. You didn't have to think, listen, that's going to come my way, and I'm going to flinch. Like, I'm going to try to avoid this. No. It's a natural reaction that all of us have is to flinch. It's to try to avoid the potential pain that is coming towards us. And see, I would flinch a lot in my life because the truth is we flinch whenever arrows are fired at our head. Uh, But do you flinch when Satan fires arrows at your heart? See, that's where we're going to kind of go after tonight. It has to do with the heart and how you choose to seek God whenever arrows are fired your way. Are you running from the potential pain that would be coming into your life, or are you trusting God and continuing to seek him through it? See, you can choose to run and flinch and avoid the pain, or you can choose to press in, continue seeking, and hold up a shield of faith that, that lets you know that God's not changing, that even though that arrow is coming, something great is on the other side. See, when I was in my early 20s, I had to learn this idea of seeking God because I like to flinch. And I didn't want to flinch anymore. And so I had to know how to put up a shield that would protect me even when there was a volley of arrows coming my way. So things were going really well for me in my early 20s, or I thought so at least. Uh, When I was 22 years old, I turned 22 in Costa Rica. Like, I win, right? Turned 22 in Costa Rica, lived there for three months, met this beautiful girl named Larson who would one day become my wife. And we start dating in Costa Rica. We get back from Costa Rica. I have eight weeks in Athens with no class. Like, what do you do? I just played video games and slept in until 2 p.m. It was wonderful. It's called being lazy, and I loved it. And, and all of you are like, well, I'm in school, and I do that anyways. That's not what you should do, but I did um, after I got done. Because we got done about eight weeks prior to the actual graduation. Then I graduated, had about another two weeks where I just played volleyball, video games, and slept in. Then I graduated, and I started a new job here. And so at 22, I got to come on staff as part of the residency program and came on and joined the Hamilton Mill team. Things are going really well for me. I graduated college. How many of you want to graduate in like two and a half weeks? Okay, okay, because see, now you put your hands back down because you got some more time. How do you want to graduate eventually? Ding, 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 ding. All right, well, I've been there. It's worth it, okay? I graduated. I got this awesome girlfriend. Things are going well. I got this new job. You would say, actually, we're going to be drawing on here tonight. You ready? I, let's, I have... I have as much artistic ability as, like, a, my two-year-old son. Um, I, I can't draw a stick figure well, but you're going to have to go with me, all right? So things are going well for me. You would say it was almost like a mountaintop. Look at that. I can do that, right? Isn't that so good? You want to sell that for millions of dollars? You're welcome. So you would say that things are going well for me. This was my mountaintop experience. I'm flying high. This is, it was the equivalent of like you going on a summer camp, experiencing Jesus, and coming back and being like, I got to tell every, this is the great, I'm in heaven. That's what it is. I'm just going to live on the mountain the entire time. Then something happened. Then something happened because about two and a half months after I started in the residency, at the start of the next semester after I graduated, uh, Larson and I broke up. And so a breakup caused this downward turn in my life. And I thought I was hitting bottom. And if you would have looked around and talked to other people that knew me, they'd have been like, yeah, he sucks. He's kind of hit bottom. Um, I, I was, became an embarrassment to my friends. I became depressed. And here's the deal. I was living at home. So I went from having like 300 friends within five miles in Athens to having like five friends within 30 miles living at home. It was not fun. And all of the comfort in my world 
started to go away. Things started to turn bad for this guy. Flying high and then a downward turn happened. But then there was a moment while I was living at home, stuck in this depression, stuck in this pain, stuck in this just horrible, awful, difficult season. A moment happened right here. And this is where we're going to land tonight, is this little X. Because, see, I had a problem. And at the X, I got to deal with the problem. There's a problem that needed to be fixed. And so I was going to deal with it. And the way that this looked for me, this right here dealing with it, was one night about two months after we broke up. Uh, for me, I couldn't, I couldn't feel God's presence. Like he was absent from me. I couldn't feel him. I was, I was very emotional in my spirituality. Uh, it was very much a, a high and a low thing. And I couldn't feel him. He was gone. And so I equated that with something, something's off, something's wrong. God's not there. And I went, one, I went down one day or one night, and I woke up my dad. Uh, my dad wakes up at like 5 a.m. to go to work. And I'm living at home. It's 1 a.m., and I can't sleep. It's been about two months of this. And I go downstairs, and I knock on my parents' door, and, of course, they're asleep. And so I, I kind of peek in. I'm like, hey, Dad, can we talk? And this had happened a few times before over the previous weeks. And so my dad gets out of bed, comes in the living room. We sit on the sofa, and we start talking. My dad's sitting there in this moment, and he's like, Matthew, listen, I, I don't know what I can do for you. I've, I've only kissed one girl in my entire life, and it's your mom. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't have the relational experience that you had in relationships. I don't know what to tell you. But I do know this. I see your faith wavering, and I see you wondering whether God's there. And what I would tell you is that, that I'm not as emotionally built as you are. Because for me, God is constant. God never changes. And so regardless of what happens, regardless of the circumstances in my life, I know that God's the same. And Matthew, that's what carries me through. And in this moment, my dad sat there with me and just let me vent, let me cry, let me hurt, and sat there and let me listen. But what he didn't do was take the pain away. He said, rather than you trying to go and just figure something else out, what you need to do is realize that God hasn't changed. God is constant, and that's why I can do everything in my faith that I do. My dad at this point was almost 60 years old. Now, I'm, not, I'm halfway there. And so that's a lot of life to live to figure out the seasoning of your faith and the seasoning of your soul, and yet that truth remains there, that God is constant. So when we seek God and he's constant, what it actually allows us to do is to continue to pursue him further regardless of the season, regardless of the circumstances. And so I sat there that night on the sofa and I had a decision to make. What I actually, what I wanted to do was this. I feel pain and I don't want to feel pain anymore. None of us like to feel pain. I want to try to avert this pain. I want to try to go and find whatever is going to make me feel better. Go find the up and up. Go find the next girl. Well, if she broke up with me, fine. I'll go find another girl that I think is really hot that I can stare at until I don't think she's hot anymore. Because that's basically what I would do. You laugh, but like, let's just get, let's get real, real talk. And I would always do this. See, this is the other thing I said. This is not the first time I'd hit an ex. I'd been broken, like, like I just sucked as a boyfriend, apparently. I'd been broken up so many times growing up, 
And every time it happened, every time the downturn happened and I emotionally got a little bit sideways, I would try to avert the pain and find something else to fulfill me of what was hurting. And so I'd go and find the next game or the next sport or the next crew or the next girl or the next grade or the next thing on the calendar. And I would always try to avert it. And on that night, when I was 22 years old in October of 2008, I stopped running from it. I stopped flinching because I realized this has to happen. That has to happen. I thought I was at rock bottom. I was not at rock bottom. And so what I did is I continued to seek God. I didn't go and try to find my fulfillment in anything else. I continued to seek him in the middle of my pain. And it started to strengthen my faith. It started to settle my faith. I started to remember the words of my dad saying, but Matthew, listen, God is constant. And you can trust him. Because the reality is, my problem wasn't here. My problem is down here. And I can never reach this problem if I avert the pain up here. See, I knew that God loved me. I knew the truth of what Dave Harvey says, that the depth of love that seen for something is found in the intensity of the pursuit of it. I knew that Jesus loved me, but I never embraced it. I never pursued it. I never made it my own in the midst of struggle. Now, some of you may come in here tonight feeling pain. Some of you may come in here tonight struggling. We just had Easter. Maybe you saw people walk across the stage and give their life to Christ, and you got a lot of questions. What I would tell you is every single one of us in this room have a problem because you're born with a problem. But until you figure this out, you're never going to grow up in your faith. You're never going to grow up. And so I learned it, and I continued to press in, and eventually I figured it out. That I, had, I could not avert the pain anymore. I had to learn, learn to stop flinching. And if we could be really honest about this conversation, here's why this is so important. Because averting your pain is exactly what Satan wants you to do. Averting your pain is the plan of Satan. That is not God's plan for you. It's the plan of Satan. And I'm going to explain why, because the Bible is going to teach us that. A guy named Peter is going to teach us in Matthew 16 why averting your pain is the exact thing that Satan wants you to do in your life. He doesn't want you to seek him in the midst of it. He wants you to run from it. He wants you to flinch. He wants you to get away. So Matthew 16, we're going to put it up on the screen. I'm going to read from my version. We're going to start in verse 13 if you want to follow along. There's a Bible underneath your chair. You can also pull out your phone, uh, get the version app or anything like that. We're going to open up to Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 13. It says, Peter confesses Jesus as the Christ. Here we go, verse 13. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea of Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist, and others Elisha, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered Simon, saying, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not, re- has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. 
I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Now, if, if you want to ask me, this is about as mountaintop as it gets. Hey, Peter, guess what? I'm going to build this thing called the church, and it's going to be because of you. You're the rock. You're the foundation of this thing. And, and the gates of hell won't be able to prevail against you. Like, I don't know, but I want that. Give me that. Like, see you later, enemy. He, whatever Peter was going to do, God or Jesus in that moment said, Peter, I believe in you. I affirm you. I know you have significance and you are going to do incredible things. And you didn't learn that I was Christ. God revealed that to you. There's favor. That is as good as it gets. Then verse 21 happens. (laughs) Just wait. Verse 21, he says this, from the time that Jesus began to show his disciples that he, from then, From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter, all right, so the foundation of the church, and Peter took him aside, took Jesus, it's like, this is hilarious to me. Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. Can we just pause and laugh at Peter collectively for a second? You're going to rebuke Jesus? Okay, sorry, I'm back. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So that's, that's quite the change. <laughs> you are, you're Peter. I'm going to give you the kingdom, the keys to the kingdom of heaven. You got it made, son. And then it's, get behind me, Satan. Like, wait a minute, what? Either Jesus is a little bit, like, un, like, unstable, right? Something's wrong. Or there's a significance to why he called him that. There's significance to why he specifically said, get behind me, Satan. For you're not thinking of the things of God, but you're thinking of the things of man. And here's why. Let's draw it out. In the same way we drew out mine, let's draw out Peter's. Look. So this is going to be Peter's trajectory, Okay. No, that's not like backwards hangman. I tried to make it further so you wouldn't get confused, but just go with me. So right here we have Matthew 16, 13 through 20. That's Peter, you're the rock. I'm going to build this thing on you. You're incredible. you got great faith. I love you. This is up here, right? But then something happens, and it starts to go down. It's starting to go down is this single moment of Matthew 16, 21. Where Jesus starts to say, listen, I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be wrongfully arrested. I'm going to be accused. They're going to torture me. They're going to whip me. They're going to beat me. They're going to treat me like a criminal, like a murderer. They're going to exchange a murderer for me. And then they're going to nail me to a cross, and they're going to kill me. And on the third day, I'm going to be raised. And at this moment, Peter has a choice. 
And what does Peter want to do? Peter says, far be it from you, Lord. This will never happen to you. You will never suffer this. All Peter wants to do is avert the pain. All Peter's trying to do is get outside of the pain that's happening in his life and the life of Jesus. Now, it's happening in his life because Peter would have believed that Jesus was the king, the coming Messiah, who's going to be here and reign forever. But how, like, Jesus, you can't really reign if you're dead. <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but you, you can't. You, you, you can't die. You, you can't. You can't suffer that. I won't let it happen. It's the same reason why in the garden when they started to arrest him, who's the one that took out the sword and tried to fight and make it not happen? Peter. And he cut off the soldier's ear. All Peter wanted to do was avert the pain. And yet what Jesus says for the next few verses, is he says, nope, that's not the answer. It's coming down here. Because, see, in the exact same way that I explained that I had a problem, guess what? Jesus knew that we had a problem. And the problem is that we're born into sin. And the problem is that we're far from God. And the problem is that we can do nothing without him. And so if, if... Jesus had averted the pain that God was entering into his story, we would have no hope. You would not have any life, and we would all be condemned to die. But because Jesus did not avert the pain that was coming his way, because he pressed in and continued to seek God, he had a lot of ministry after this. That's chapter 16. It goes into the late 20s. Because he continued to seek God, even though pain was surely coming his way, Jesus was killed. But if he wasn't killed, he could never be raised in the third day. And without that resurrection, we got no hope. See, the pain was necessary to the story. The pain was necessary to heal and fix the problem. It happened in Peter's life. It happened in my life. And now you understand why Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Because Jesus wants to grow you through the pain while Satan wants to kill you by averting it. So I know that this is like the most lucky charms, rainbows, and unicorns talk we've ever had. I get it. But for the season of life that I was in, I lived all four years of my college career. I lived all four years of my college career disillusioned. thinking that I could, I could halfway seek God and continue to seek the things that I wanted and have all of God. I used to question. <laughs> I would ask my dad, like, Dad, is it, is it weird that I want to get married? How many of you have ever asked the question? I, you know, I just, I think, I'm, I think I'd want to get married. How many of you ever want to get married one day? All right, look around, look around, all right, <laughs> you're welcome. I would ask my dad, is it weird that I want to get married? Like, like I really want to get married. And see, my dad was like, I don't know, I was married at 20, she's the only girl I've kissed, I don't know. Like, thanks, best man. Good looking out. However, in those moments, 
I went through college thinking and having the question, how is it possible that someone can love their, that they can love God as much as their wife? I, I used to have this legit thought inside, this confusion. How can someone love God more than their wife? You know what that is? That's a problem. And you laugh, but that's a lot of you. See, I wanted a wife more than I wanted God, and that's called idolatry, and it's a sin. So any relationship that I would have stepped into while I continued to avert the pain probably would have been rooted in sin. It wasn't until I actually pressed into the problem of what God was trying to fix that I finally figured this out. And the moment that I did, and the moment he changed my heart, and the moment I got on the other side of this, and I remembered the words my dad said of God is constant. You can continue to seek him. You can continue to pursue him. And nothing has to take you off that course. You can always go after him. The moment I started to live that out in my life, my faith started to weather. My faith started to get stronger. God came back. And guess what? It wasn't darkness forever. It's never, like, winter is never going to always be here. It's spring. Screw you, Paulin. You know what I mean? Yeah, amen. Preach. I get it, okay? It's never winter forever. Has it ever stayed winter forever? No, because we have something called humidity that comes back. Kick that in the, can I loose that on earth? Because I don't want that now. It's never winter forever. Spring will always come, and spring came back in my life. It'll come back in your life. But this is false spring. This is not real. This is you trying to be your own God. What we talked about last week, there's only two paths you can choose in life. You can choose to live God's path or Satan's path. Because what he wants to do in your life is help you avert your pain. This is a fallacy. It doesn't exist. And so I pressed in and I stopped flinching and I figured it out in my early 20s. And thank God I did because a few years later, about eight years later, this last spring, this last spring something happened in my life that uh, I pray never happens to any of you. I, I mean that with all my heart. So my wife and I had, uh, had two kids last December and my daughter was uh, a little over a year yeah, or almost a year old, um, two Decembers ago, and we found out we were pregnant. Like, sweet, we weren't planning on this. This is great. That's what happens when you take out the goalie. Um, so I love that, I love that uh, you all just did math. That's great. Um, so, we, so we got pregnant. I also, like, I, had, I fully had that held together, and then I heard Jin Han laugh. And I'm, I'm done, like I'm ruined, because that's a great one. Um, so we got, we got pregnant. It's our third kid. And uh, about five weeks later, after we found out, um, we went back to the doctor, and, and they told us there's no heartbeat. Uh, so typically, there's, kinda not, there's not really like a, a scheduled thing of what normally happens whenever you experience a miscarriage. Uh, but we were experiencing miscarriage. And so for the next three weeks, we had to live with this anxiety of, at some point, this is going to happen. This, this baby's going to pass, and, and that's it. So that, that was hard to take. And I remember praying so hard that God would just, like, turn it around and perform a miracle, and that he would do whatever it takes to make life happen. 
and he didn't. And he's still good. It changed nothing of his goodness or of his kindness to us. So three weeks later, uh, my wife starts to have the miscarriage. And things don't go well. She has some pretty serious complications. And so they said, like, you're going to, I'll just, for the sake of conversation, we'll go there. Uh, you're going you're gonna to bleed a lot uh, whenever it happens, a little more than normal. And so my wife's in the shower, and she yells for me. And my wife's, like, super stoic. Like, she's delivered two kids with basically no pain or no pain medication. Like, she's just a rock. And she's screaming for me. She's in the shower, and, I, I, like, I see she's terrified. So she's in the shower, and blood is, like, just running down her legs. It's like a scary movie. And so we turn off the water, and then I get her out, and I was like, all right, let's just, here, let's come over to the toilet. Let's get you clean. Maybe, like, not being in the hot water will help. So she gets over there, and blood just continues to pour out of my wife. Call my mom. Have my mom come get the kids. She watches the kids. Gets there within, like, five minutes. Uh, I put fresh clothes on Larson. We get in the car, and we race. And I'm like, forget 911. I'm not waiting. I'm going. And we race to go to the hospital. Hospital's uh, 33 minutes away. I know that because we've had children. So we're racing to the hospital. About two miles down the road, there's a fire station. We pass the fire station, and I look at my wife, and she's sitting in the, in the passenger seat, just terrified, struggling, uh, turning really pale. And there's just a pool of blood on her stomach. Uh, less than five minutes ago, she had on fresh clothes, and now they're totally ruined. So I made the decision that moment. I'm turning around. She's talking to her aunt. She's trying to calm down. Her aunt's kind of the spiritual guide in her life. I turn around, and I go back to the fire station. I, I race in the fire station, park the car, run inside, and I go in, and I say, my wife's bleeding out. Please come help. And two firemen run, and they come and get my wife. They put her on a gurney. My wife asks, how long can I bleed like this? And they said, not long. Well, that's reassuring. Thanks. That's great. That's wonderful. And I remember going on the other side of the car, kind of back facing these trees on the other side of it, and just begging God to come through. In the same way I begged God to come through when we had the miscarriage, begging God to come through and save my wife, allow her to live. We didn't think she was going to. My wife was in the back of the ambulance on the way to the hospital. <laughs> fully coming to grips with the fact of, all right, I'm going to see Jesus. Okay. And then had the thought, and Matt's going to be a widower, and he's going to raise our kids by himself. This is running through my wife's head. And I'm in the front of the ambulance freaking out, calling my firefighter friend. I don't know what to do, asking people to pray. We get to the hospital. My wife's blood pressure is 86 over 38. They perform something called a DNC. They end up fixing it, and about six hours later, we get to go home. See, God didn't answer my prayer for life when we had the miscarriage, but then I prayed for life with my wife, and he did answer it. But it doesn't change anything of his character. God's constant. He's fully constant, and I can fully trust him. And I prayed just as hard for the baby to live as I did for my wife to live. And for some reason, in God's sovereignty and in his design and his kindness and in his, in his loving kindness for me, he chose that for our story. Now, that was not fun at all. That's pretty bad. About seven months later, <laughs> about seven months later, uh, we end up in the hospital for four days with my daughter. Yeah, just, uh, it's like, 
Hang on, we're getting somewhere. So we go to the hospital for four days, and my daughter, she's bleeding. Her kidneys are starting to fail. Um, they run these tests, and they figure out that she has something called hemolytic uremic syndrome. There are two types of hemolytic uremic syndrome, HUS. One is atypical, which is a very rare genetic disease. One is an acute kind that happens from E. coli. How is, my, how is she going to get E. coli? She's 16 months old. So they run tests, and they tell us, listen, we're not quite sure which one it is. Um, four days later, my daughter recovers, kind of kicks it herself. She has to have a blood transfusion, my 16-month-old, a blood transfusion. We leave the hospital, and they tell us, the doctor tells us, we're about 50-50 on whether or not she has atypical or whether she had the acute kind. Well, if she has atypical, that means within a year she's probably going to die. So I went from having a miscarriage and losing a child to thinking I'm going to lose my wife to now hearing that I might lose my daughter. At 22 years old, I pressed in. I did not avert the pain, and I pressed into what God was doing in my life. At the time, my emotions were like this, just everywhere. And yet the moment that I went through that season a year ago, losing a child, thinking I'm going to lose my wife, and then being told I might lose my daughter, my emotions were this. Which one of those two things should have taken me out? Being broken up with or almost losing my family? Can we just, which, that's easy. Almost losing my family. You know which one took me out? Being broken up with. Because I didn't learn the emotional intelligence that Jesus is offering to give you and growing you up the moment you embrace what he's trying to do in your life and quit trying to avert it. It could be a breakup that needs to happen or has already happened and you need to quit trying to fight and fix it. It could be something of school that's not working out and maybe he's trying to send you in a different direction and you keep kicking and screaming trying to get your own direction. It could be a family member that you need to go love on and you don't want to forgive because of something they did, but forgiveness is not synonymous with reconciliation. Forgiveness is a choice and you need to make a tough choice. Maybe in your faith, the place you need to press in is the reality that Jesus loves you, you have no hope without him, and you can trust him. You need to believe that. And so maybe for you, it's giving your life to Christ, starting to follow him. But see, every single one of us have this trajectory in our lives. And guess what? It happens a lot. It's not the last time I ever felt pain. I just told you of another one that was even worse. And yet it didn't take me out because I worked on it here. See, we all have a problem. We all have sin in our life. We all have something that's going to take us out. And God doesn't want it to take us out. He wants to heal us of it because he loves us. The depth of love is seen in the intensity of the pursuit in which you go after it. And Jesus loved you so much he stepped out of heaven for you, and he died in the pursuit. And if he didn't die in the pursuit, he could have never fixed the problem that we're born into sin and far from him. And because he was raised from the dead and resurrected three days later, like all the prophets he said and like he said himself, we can have life if we would simply trust in him, ask him for forgiveness, and find all that we need in him. 
See, I learned at 22 that Jesus is my identity. He's my sufficiency. And it's not having a wife, having a job, having an income, having a family, having anything. If I lost everything and only had God, I would be okay. Would you? I don't know what your story is. I don't know what this looks like for you. But tonight it's time to stop acting like a spiritual child. It's time to start learning how to live like a spiritual adult. If you don't figure this out, you will become a 30-year-old. It's two years old spiritually. But if you do figure this out, God will grant his presence. He will grant wisdom. He will grant anointing. He will grant love. He will grant grace. All of those things. And why do we know that? Because of the promises we learned last week. James 4, 8. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So press in in the pain. Press in in the suffering because God is constant and he'll never leave you and you can trust him. I'm going to pray for us and we're going to worship again. We're going to worship again because for some of y'all, this may be hitting home hard. And maybe you need an opportunity to ask God to actually give that grace. Maybe tonight's your opportunity to press in. Maybe tonight's your opportunity to quit averting the pain and following what Satan and the enemy would want to do and allowing God to press in and grow you up. Because the truth is, God loves you too much to leave you as he found you. Now, he loves you so much, he saves you exactly as he finds you, but he loves you too much to leave you as he found you. He wants to grow you up, but it might take a little bit of uncomfortableness. It might take a little bit of pressing in, putting that shield of faith up and deflecting all those arrows. So I'm going to pray for us. Then we're going to step back in to worship. We're going to ask that God would be here. Maybe for some of you, this is an opportunity for you to pray. Maybe for some of you, it's an opportunity to stand and sing because we're going to sing about the never-ending love of God. But for every one of us in this room, it's an opportunity to really reflect on and respond to the Holy Spirit and what he's offering. So in the name of Jesus, I ask, Lord, that you would be here, that you'd walk into the room, that we would experience your presence, and that as you as you sit with us, as you as you encounter us, Father, that you would be so kind as to speak into our hearts the exact words that we need to hear. I don't know what just occurred over the last 30 minutes. I don't know what just went into their hearts. I don't know what was heard, Father, but there's something, and they know it, and you know it. So, Father, don't let it go. Be relentless in your pursuit of us. Even when we stray, would you still pursue us, Father, because you're constant because you're good, because you're loving, and because we can trust you. So, Father, may we seek you. May we seek you with our lives. May we seek you with our worship. May we seek you in our prayers. Father, may we seek you as a group collectively over the next few moments so that you may be glorified in our lives. Lord, this is all for you. You are our banner. So be seen, be magnified, and be worshiped in this place. In Jesus' name, amen.